What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, Giants fans, and welcome to your Valentine's Views podcast for Monday. Please like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. And please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts across the Big Blue View Radio Network. All right, uh, Giants with a gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, disappointing 14-9 loss to the Buffalo Bills on, on Sunday night. A game that, that they easily could have won, really, with, the, with different results on, on two plays. Here to, uh, to help me discuss uh, all of the action, as we always do, the, uh, the morning after games is Big Blue Views' Tony Del Genio. Morning, Tony. How are you? How much sleep did you get last night? <laughs> I'm doing all right, Ed. I only got a few hours sleep, maybe four. <laughs> I, I got more than I should have. I got up late this morning. Everything's running behind schedule. So, uh, But it is what it is, and, and here we are, and uh, let, let's dive right into it. Obviously, 14-9 to loss that uh, the Giants, you know, much better closer much better effort than than most people anticipated and yet a lot of disappointment we have to talk about the the final play of the first half and and I think we all know you know Tyrod Taylor messed up you just can't run the ball in that situation he checked to a running play he said he thought there would be time to spike the ball if the play failed, obviously he miscalculated, which is really disappointing for a guy that's been in the league as long as he has. But here's here's my question for you, Tony. I was a little bit surprised at how forthright Brian Dable was immediately after the game in saying, that's on the quarterback, that's on Tyrod Taylor, he screwed up. Are you at all surprised? That, that Brian Dable didn't cover for Taylor a little bit. Yeah. And I noticed a lot of people commenting on that, on that last night, I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't more non-committal about it, but uh, I, you know, I do think it was an awful call. I think that if you were looking at Tommy DeVito making that call, then, then it's a it's a different story. But a guy who's been in the league as long as Tyrod Taylor, I I have to admit, as soon as I saw him hand off, I said, "What are you doing handing off?" <laughs> well, God God forbid, God forbid, Daniel Jones had made that alert and handed the ball to Barkley, and it didn't work. He'd yeah. be crucified, run out of town, and. And it just the 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 Jones hatred just wouldn't stop. And for me, yeah, I get the fact that that Taylor, it's his first start for the Giants in two years. It's his first 
really, truly meaningful football in a long time. And yet he's been in the league for 13 years. He's 34 years old. He started a ton of games. He has to know better. You know, maybe if there's 25 seconds, you can get away with running that because you probably have time to spike the ball and still kick the field goal. But he has to know how how much time it's going to take to get out of the pile and get lined up and get a ball spiked because the Giants mm-hmm. didn't th- there was no chance they were going to get us get the ball spiked and, and and that is purely on Tyrod Taylor he took the blame for it after the game and yet you know I was a little bit surprised still that that Brian Dable didn't say well he had a run option there and he chose it and it just didn't work I was a little bit surprised that that he said, you know, that he basically said that's on Tyrod. Yeah, yeah, I I was too. Um, on the other hand, I think he's he's obviously very frustrated with the way things have gone this season, and I think he saw a winnable game last night start to slip out of his hands, and uh, so I I kind of get the frustration, and he was obviously very uh, frustrated because he apparently. Uh, spoke to uh, who was it? Melissa Stark was the sideline reporter, I believe. Believe, and I guess she tried to interview him as they were going off the field for halftime, and he just says, "Yeah," said, "I'm like, I'm sorry, I just, I just can't do this right now." I can't. Yeah, he said, "I can't." He said, "Right now, I can't think straight or something yeah. like that." And yeah, and and yeah. So no, you know, it's a it's a human thing to do. And absolutely, and and you know, it was a human mistake by by Tyrod Taylor, unfortunately. When push comes to shove, and we'll get into how the game ended in a second, when push comes to shove, that is the play that cost the Giants the game. I mean, an opportunity to, whether it was 9 to nothing or 13 to nothing, there's there's no excuse for not coming out of there without points and, and going into the locker room up two scores. And when you think about it, we can talk about how the game ended, but... Giants get points at the end of the first half. They don't need a touchdown at the end of that game. All they need is a field goal, and they're in obvious position even before the the final play of regulation pass interference that was called in the end zone. They're in position to kick that field goal, and you know Graham Gano is going to make that. So, yeah, so so that play ultimately cost them a, a massive upset. Yeah, and I think that's that's why he was he was so upset about it. Again, I, it, it's not a great look for a head coach to to be saying that publicly, but I think he probably saw this as the Giants' last chance to climb back into the playoff race, and he saw he saw then uh, an opening for Buffalo to come back and take the game, which which they did. I mean, and, and, you know, it, it, it obscures the fact that, that overall Tyra Taylor played a, a good game, a very good game, I think for the, for the giants and overall the giants played an excellent game. I mean, they had the lead till the end of the third quarter. And even after, even after Josh Allen finally started doing Josh Allen things in the fourth quarter, I mean, like that, that pass for the, for the winning score was a, a pass that very few quarterbacks can can make i think uh still the giants fought back and they drove down and 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 were in position to win the game and so i think this was this was by far the giants best game of the season 
and uh, to, to not come away with a win, I, I'm sure hurts a lot. Absolutely. Tony, let's talk about the final play. Um, Giants get the pass interference in the end zone on the, on the final timed play. They get an untimed play from the one yard line. And as I wrote in the kudos and wet willies on Monday morning, this, my view of this is look, yes, it was pass interference, but it, unless you were brand new to sports last night, you understand that this is about the, about the millionth time that officials have swallowed the whistle on a game deciding play at the end of the game. Sometimes you're going to get that call. Sometimes you're not going to get that call. If you're on defense, it's a great call. If you're on offense, it stinks. But for me, I'm just I'm just not going to kill the officials for not throwing that flag on on that play. I just I can't do it. I know Giants fans are are upset about it, but that's just how things go in sports you know, most of the time. Well, I'm I'm with the Giants fans on this one. I have to admit that. <laughs> oh, I understand. I, I understand I, it, Tony. I understand the frustration. Well, I, and the I just point, can't kill the officials for it. Yeah, the point I would make is is that is that as long as you let defensive backs get away with doing that, then they're going to continue to do it, and they're going to continue to do it, you know, until it, until it gets so egregious that that it's ridiculous and. Uh, you know, I, I I I thought he held him on the second play. I mean, there was the, the whole jersey pulling thing, right? And I didn't think that that what he did was any uh, better or worse than the play that was called on James Bradbury in the Super Bowl that basically allowed Kansas City to win the Super Bowl. And so, if 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 they could call that play in that situation in at a key juncture in the Super Bowl, they could they could call this. And I guess more maybe more to the point. Uh, sometimes I don't trust myself since I'm not an expert, but you had Chris Collinsworth saying, saying he thought it was a hold. And then he convinced Terry McCauley up in the, <laughs> in the studio that it, that it was a hold. And, and I, and so I guess my, you know, my question is really, is the whole system for deciding on penalties and, and, and changes of calls on the field, is that whole system broken? And does there need to be more of an option to to you know to get somebody up in the booth you know correct a call on the field when the film clearly shows that that he was he had his jersey pulled before the ball was even coming to him and and so you know that's that's the type of thing i i wonder about a lot i i wonder about whether whether the referees have a sense of of why rules are in there and why penalties are called when they're called. And I, I worry that some of them worry too much about the letter of the rule and not enough about the spirit of the rule and why why the rule exists and, and what it's trying to do. The one that I think of was uh, a long pass to, I think it was I think it was Jalen Hyatt, maybe that was uh, that was called back by an illegal man downfield on Evan Neal. And that was a that was a play we saw in the Dallas Thanksgiving game last year. Uh, it wasn't Evan Neal that time. It was one of the other offensive linemen who got it. And, you know, I, I understand why they have a call like that in the in the playbook. But when the 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 offense is is so minor and the play is going nowhere near 
where where that offense supposedly occurs. The idea of calling a penalty on that to me goes against the spirit of of, of why the rule is, is in there. And so in the case of the of the last play of the game, you know, we know that the rule is in there precisely to to try to avoid the type of thing that the defensive back was doing to Waller on that play. And uh, I have to admit, I thought even though it was the second time in a row and yeah, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, they're not going to call that twice in a row just because you think you're not, they're not going to call it twice in a row. doesn't mean it was a good idea or a right, the right thing not to call it twice in a row. Oh, if I'm the Buffalo defensive back, I do exactly what he yeah. did too. I mugged Darren Waller and I basically dare the official to call it again. And, and, and he didn't. And, you know, as I said, whether it's right or it's wrong, that is, you know, we see it all the time. There have been calls over the years that have benefited the Giants. There have been plenty of calls. You know, there are there are still people who are screaming that Richie Soybert was interfered with on the on on the final play in the Trey Junkin game. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so oh, oh yeah, you know, oh, so that was a terrible call too. Oh yeah, it was. But <laughs> you know, but but those those things unfortunately happen. And I come back to the Giants. You know, should have won this game on their own. But what I will say is you're absolutely right about the Evan Neal play. And I was going to bring it up, you know, if you didn't, and I do agree with you about the spirit of some of the rules. It drives me crazy when a penalty that happened 30 or 40 yards away from the play that had nothing to do with the play changes you know, a third down to a first down or takes away a big play, which is what the Neal penalty did last night. That was a clear example of, you know, he was engaged in a double team, and and I think it was he and, and Marcus McKethan, you know, pushed the, defense, pushed the defensive lineman down the field a little bit. When Neal disengaged, he was a yard and a half or two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, didn't advance up the field any further, just stayed put you know maybe he should have backed up i don't know but but it had nothing to do with the play and i i'm with you that that those kinds of things i do i do think the nfl needs to look at do we really need to make that call in that spot yeah and the most egregious thing and this did not come into play last night is the is what they've done with the rushing roughing the passer penalty and they've gone so far in trying to protect quarterbacks that you make it almost impossible in some situations to actually sack a quarterback. I think there was one called on, was it Leonard Williams last week? Uh, or the, there was, the week before that, that was, he was, he was coming in. Yeah. And, and you, you just look at some of these things is that that's not what they intend to mean by protecting the quarterback against, against, a, yeah. you know, a bad hit. And so I, I'm, I'm just so amazed at how, how reluctant the NFL seems to be to to actually make changes in these things when when clearly something is wrong. I mean, they've done some you know some very good things as as far as protecting uh, players against you know helmet to helmet hits and things like that. Even when the helmet to helmet hits are unintentional, still I get it why they call a penalty, uh, but but sometimes they just go too far in in what they're intending to do, and and they just don't seem to have a sense of this is the right thing to do in this situation, in this point in the game and so on and so forth. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with so much television now and so many cameras and, and 
it's it's what baseball has become now too it's the absolute letter of the law versus the spirit of the law and, and does this need to be called there was a there was a, a roughing the passer on Bobby Okereke last night that uh, that was yeah. another that was another yeah. example of of there was nothing wrong with that hit but the the letter of the law the way the NFL is going to call it you know anything that looks like anything that looks reasonably close to forcible contact against the quarterback is going to get called and, and that's just uh as you said it's 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 over the top it's too far but you almost expect a flag to be thrown every time a quarterback gets touched yeah yeah and, and uh i mean it, and it really takes away from the game because you don't you don't want referee you want referee calls to be protecting the players against the other team unfairly taking advantage in a situation you you don't want them to to determine the outcome of game themselves just because of of what the rule specifically says What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Tony, let's talk about a couple of other things here. And I think we have to start with Mr. Straight Off the Couch, Justin Pugh. Um, I talked to Pugh in Giants locker room on Wednesday, I think it was. And he said that he had no idea if he could play more than maybe 20 snaps. He was wearing a big brace. He's sitting at his locker, taking the big brace off his knee. I mean, Sunday was almost a year to the day of his surgery for a torn ACL. This is a 33-year-old man who had one padded practice before before playing on on Sunday night. And I don't care what the pro football focus grades say. 
I really don't. I don't care that he gave up two sacks. He started at left guard, was doing a good job, got shoved out to left tackle. And I think the man has played five snaps at left tackle since 2015. For him to go out there and play 77 snaps and play reasonably well was just an amazing, amazing thing that he deserves to be commended for. Yeah, I started to to write my uh, piece that I'll be finished later today on the, the PFF grades and snap counts for the game, and and I said at the beginning of the piece that that I've decided that that I'm I'm game ready for the NFL because like you know like Justin Pugh I've been sitting on the couch, and apparently <laughs> that's how you train to play in an in an NFL game. And he had said right that he was he might he figured he'd be good for like 20 25 snaps, and he wound up playing every snap in the game. Pugh does a play. podcast too. He does a podcast yeah. too. So we're so we're 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 there on both yeah. counts. Yes, I feel like I have a lot. I have a lot uh, in common with Justin Pugh. I'm I, I'm undersized for for an offensive lineman too. That's the other thing that's amazing about Justin Pugh. He's not a big guy. <laughs> no, he 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 said in the locker room that when he walked in and started introducing himself to people after the Giants signed him, he said guys were looking at him like you're an offensive lineman. <laughs> You, 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 because a lot of the guys, you know, younger guys, 10 years younger than he is, didn't know who he was. And the thing of it is, Pew is a lot lighter than he was even a year ago as a Cardinal. Yeah. It was probably 310, 315. And he was asked in the locker room what he weighs. He weighs 292 pounds, which that is amazingly light for a guy who's trying to play guard in the NFL, you know, and, and, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with losing weight to take pressure off his knee. Yeah. But, but that is really, really light for an NFL offensive lineman. I just can't, I can't give him enough credit for what he did last night. And honestly, as I wrote in the kudos and wet willies, the offensive line was fine. I actually liked the idea. I know that Giants fans are down on Mark Glowinski, but I liked the idea of Glowinski going back to his natural position at right guard. Had to move across to the left side, you know, when Pew had to move out to to left tackle. But I thought that the Giants offensive line did fine last night. They I thought they ran the ball finally for once. They stuck with the run, even though it wasn't working because they were trying to shorten that game. They moved the pocket with Tyrod Taylor, which they haven't done enough with Daniel Jones. They've kind of made Jones a, a sitting target in the pocket. You know, they moved the pocket. They got the ball out of Tyrod Taylor's hands. But I did think the offensive line gave him a chance last night and, and, and while it wasn't fantastic, they deserve some credit just because, you know, once again, they're in a makeshift situation last night after the Azudu injury. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, to me, last night was a combination of, I would say, at least three different things. Uh, one, you know, one being that I, that I did think the offensive line played better. And it's hard not to conclude that Justin Pugh had a, an effect 
on that. I mean, I, you know, obviously, you know, when he went out to left tackle, sure. Von Miller got around him a couple of times. He gave up pressure on the final play of the game. And, and so if Tyrod had any thoughts of, of going anywhere else, except Waller, you know, you could forget about it because uh, whoever was rushing off that side was about to, to get to him. And so, yeah, you, you know, you expect that when someone like that moves, moves out to the outside when they're, they're used to playing guard. But I thought that the offensive line just, looked better overall last night and I and I and I can't believe that he didn't have an effect on not just his own immediate responsibilities but just on the rest of the line itself and I and I've you know just worried that the Giants the Giants don't seem to have an alpha male on the offensive line I mean yeah Evan Neal's a quiet guy Andrew Thomas is a quiet guy too as good as great as he is he's a quiet guy too uh, they don't. They don't seem to have any like real bullies on on that offensive line. Glowinski, although he's a veteran, um, seems to be a very quiet uh, kind of guy who who just kind of you know does his does his business. And I feel like they can use somebody you know who who who's a little bit more of a of a vocal leader. And maybe Pew gave them that last night. But I thought overall the line played better. The other thing, though, obviously is that it sure helps to have Saquon Barkley back, even Saquon Barkley still nursing a high ankle sprain. And you could, you could see that he, he wasn't his, his 100% self last night. He couldn't make the cuts that he usually does. And I didn't think he had the speed that you usually see from him, but just having him back in there, I think makes a big difference in the running game because you, you know, you know that if you can give this guy a little bit of an opening, he can, he can get through it. And, I think the one advantage that Tyrod Taylor gives you is that he has great escapability uh, in the pocket. And so he's a, he's a plus when it comes to, to making pressure uh, not be the disaster that it would be for a, for a less mobile quarterback. And so, and as you say, they moved the pocket, they did other things too. So overall, I thought the game plan was good. And I thought that the people who played in the game did a, did a good job under the circumstances that were there last night. And I, I, if, you know, for such a for such a disheartening loss, and and to have it come at this point in the season when they desperately needed a win to, to kind of stay in anything like the division race, uh, I I didn't I I wasn't that that broken after after the game was over. I just kind of took solace from the fact that I thought. They by far played the best game they've played this season last night against a very good opponent. And that's that's not bad. No, it 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 really isn't, Tony. And and maybe a hundred percent Barkley, I think on the on the 33 or 34 yard run, maybe he pops that, you know, for for a big play. I do think Barkley's presence in the game. One of the things that I thought the Giants did that we've been screaming about at Big Blue View, even in the first couple of games that Barkley did play, is they stuck with the run because the run didn't work until late in the game when Barkley popped a couple of those runs. And I think maybe Saquon's presence in the game sort of help to the Giants say, we're just going to keep trying because we know sooner or later we'll get a hole, we'll get something We'll get some plays. I'm not sure they would have done that if they were handing the ball to uh, to Matt Breida and Eric Gray. And uh, so, yeah, Saquon Barkley's presence, definitely, you know, a huge thing for the Giants. Tony, one thing 
that we didn't talk about earlier in the show that I that I had wanted to talk about the play call on the final play. I've seen people screaming online, fire Kafka. You why are you, you know, why are you just throwing up a jump ball, you know, on 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 the final play of the game? Why aren't there other options? And and as you said, first of all, there was pressure. And second of all, something I say all the time that coaches say and don't follow their own words often enough is it's about players. It's not about plays. I don't care what the play call was. I I honestly don't care. If you're going to throw the football with the game on the line with one play in that situation from the one-yard line, the ball absolutely has to go to Darren Waller. Six foot six, 250 something pound guy, your best receiver, your biggest target. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care what the play call was. And 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 Brian Dable said the Giants had a good play for that. He said he was fine with the call. The ball went to the right player. It just fell incomplete. We can argue about the 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 non-call and the penalty, but but I don't want to hear, oh, terrible play call by Kafka because the ball went to the correct player. I agree completely with that. I had no problems with them going back to, to Waller. That's that's one of the things that you got Waller for. Was Absolutely. To be, that, to be I, that big target in, in the end zone. I remember two years ago, and we know how the we know how the Kenny Galladay tenure ended in New York or went in New York. But in one of his very first games as a giant, the Giants got the ball on a turnover with the game on the line inside the 20 yard line. They signed their or they signed Kenny Galladay to a mega contract to be a game changing difference maker, especially in the red zone. And I think they ran the ball three times. And now and, and Galladay was upset. I remember seeing the 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 the, the TV camera pan to the sideline and he was upset and he was rightly upset because the giants had signed him to be the guy that made a difference in those situations. And they didn't give him a chance, whatever the play call was, the giants gave the proper player a chance to make a play. It just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and that's a good defense that they're going up against last night. And so uh, to be in position first of all, to just actually get that winning score uh, at the end and drive downfield on that defense, I thought is a, is a, a, a great thing in and of itself. And, and I had absolutely no problem with them, with them going back to Waller. And again, I thought he was held on that, on that second final play of the oh. game, just as he was on the first play. And so I think has, it, it's no fault of Waller that he did not catch that pass. He was not allowed to jump up where he could have in order to get that no. pass. Ty, Tyra threw it a little bit high, uh, but I think that's a pass that, that Waller can go up and get if he's not held. If he if he's able to use two hands, sure, he can catch that mm -hmm. ball. But uh, but again, zero problem with the play call. The ball went to, to the player it needed to go to if you weren't going to try to hand it to Saquon in that situation. So no problem with that at all. Uh, you know, something else that was interesting last night, Tony, was, and I'm sure you've seen the snap counts this morning, the Giants, zero snaps for uh, 
Sterling Shepard, no offensive snaps for Paris Campbell, only 18 for Isaiah Hodgins. The Giants went with Wandale Robinson, Darius Slayton, and Jalen Hyatt at wide receiver almost exclusively. And I have to admit that I really like I really like that. I like just you get Hyatt out there and let the kid play. And and the same with Robinson. Well, it's it's speed. And basically what I think what I think the Giants uh, did last night was they just ran a lot more one one personnel than than they have previously and, and a lot less one two personnel. So when they're when they're in one two, it looks like Slayton and Hodgins now are the two guys in one two. And Isaiah Hodgins only had 18 snaps last night. Slayton was out there all the time. So he's the he's the Iron Man. And uh and as you say, you know, Wandale and and Hyatt. And you can you can see the the offensive philosophy that they're I think that they're putting together. I mean Wandale you know, so Wandale Robinson, I mean, I have such conflicting emotions about Wandale Robinson. Um, you look and see what George Pickens has become for, for Pittsburgh, and he's become a you know a really nice X-type receiver uh, for, for the Steelers. And you know that he was on the board when, when the Giants picked in the second round. And so uh, I, I have to admit, I have regrets about the Giants not going in that direction. But that, that having been said, Wandale Robinson is now their guy to get first downs and get keep the chains moving. Uh, they targeted him eight times last night. He had eight receptions. And granted, it's all short stuff, so it's not as if they're tremendously difficult balls. But it's moved the chain and, stuff. How many of those? I'd have to go back and look, but a lot of those went for first downs. Mm-hmm. And, and there was, uh, I, I mentioned this this morning in the Kudos and Wet Willies, Maybe it was Tyrod Taylor. Maybe it was the fact that that there was a little bit more time. Maybe it was scheme, but there were a couple of occasions where Robinson actually got to run with the football after he caught it, which we hadn't seen in earlier games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and so you know, using him in that way, I don't know that he's ever going to be the the flashy wow type of of receiver that that Pickens can be or a number of other guys can be, but, but as you know, the, the, the goal is to move the chains, right? I mean, the goal is to score, but you've got to move the chains in order to, to do that. And, uh, and then, you know, we haven't talked about, about Hyatt, but obviously that's the other side of the equation is, is the guy to throw too deep. I mean, I thought, I thought of anything, Tyra Taylor threw deep a little bit too much last night. He threw one pass, to Hyatt that Hyatt did not catch way downfield where Hyatt was actually double covered. And so I was wondering what he was doing, you know, throwing that particular ball. And I'm not sure I want to see someone, someone the size of Hyatt going up with, with two defenders on him, trying, trying to catch the ball. But I did like the idea that, that they were finally trying to find him in this offense and give him chances to make plays. And he made a couple of plays for them, for them last night, not just deep plays. Also, he, he, he got a first down on a shorter plate as well. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's got to become an important part of the giants offense. And it's obvious with those people that they're putting out there most of the time that they're trying to emphasize speed over anything else. Isaiah Hodgins just doesn't see the ball much anymore. He didn't get targeted even once last night, even though he was on the field for 18 snaps. So speed is where they're directing that offense. Absolutely. Tony, you know what? As we said, I mean, best effort of the season overall for the Giants last night. And I mean, I I know that 
the other day I accused you of losing your mind when you when you pushed your chips to the center of the table and said the Giants would make the playoffs and and whether they do or not, you know I I don't think they're making the playoffs at one and five and yet let's just kind of spin forward eleven games left I think a lot of this this gauntlet of the first six games is over with now there's still a lot of difficult games on the schedule but. Overall, the way the defense is playing, some of the things that that the Giants showed on offense last night, I think, I think it's it's okay to feel optimistic that the rest of the season will be better than what we've seen so far. Yeah, and and I think right, a functional offense obviously has to be part of it. And so if they can solidify that line a little bit more, then they can have a functional offense. And, you know, I mean, you know, now we've got Andrew Thomas looks like he's going to be out for half the season, having played less than a quarter in, in game one. And so, I mean, obviously, you know, you have to get him back in order for, for this to happen. You've got to get John Michael Schmitz back and give him a chance to, to settle in at center. But, but if what we saw last night from from Justin Pugh was an indication, it looks like you know he can still play, and so you could imagine going into the second half of the season that they actually have a left side of the offensive line. If if Thomas comes back, they actually have a left side of the line that has some has at least some experience and has some talent, and uh, I you know that still leaves question marks on the right hand side of the line. But but frankly. Uh, Evan Neal is playing a little bit better. I mean, he's he's not up to the point where he's he's not a liability yet. But I think, buddy, but he's actually, but I think he's actually playing a little bit better than than he was early. And so, you know, there's there are reasons for for cautious hope about the offensive line. And if you get that, just functioning normally doesn't have to be Philadelphia Eagles level offensive line play or Detroit Lions level offensive line play. If you just get that functioning normally, then it's obvious that the Giants have some weapons they can they can do things with to be a dangerous option. The, the flip side, which we haven't talked about at all so far in this broadcast, is that the Giants defense is becoming pretty good. I, I you know they're not they're not totally a shutdown defense, but they did hold a Josh Allen led offense to 14 points and not a single point until the fourth quarter. And I thought that's pretty darn good job by an offense against a, uh, uh, by a defense against an offense that put 48 points up against Miami a few weeks ago. Absolutely. Bobby O'Karake has really begun to show why the giants signed him. I will say this too. It, it went, Although not by Chris Collinsworth, but but it went largely unnoticed that the Giants were unafraid to match Tay Banks against Stephon Diggs last night, and Tay Banks did a good job in the in the reps against Stephon Diggs. That young man has not gotten any interceptions. He really doesn't have more than one or two passes defensed. But that young man is turning into a good player. And and that's that's a good sign. Cordell Flott had a nice night last night. Uh, a little bit disturbing sometimes that that even with you know Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams in the middle, that that the Bills were able to run the ball, pretty much run the ball down the Giants' throats when they wanted to in the second half. 
no big plays allowed, but they were able to get enough running to to move the chains and keep the football. But a lot of good signs. Kayvon Thibodeau, very, very little on the stat sheet last night. And yet I'm not complaining about the way Thibodeau played either. So And I think so the, and I think Thibodeau would have been on the stat sheet more if it was not for the fact that that the guy that he was chasing was Josh Allen, because Josh Allen I mean, he's, right. he's one of the yeah. most amazing players in the NFL, right. and, and he kept a lot of that from from being more of a disaster for his own offense by by the way he can get away from pressure. Absolutely. So a lot of a lot of good signs last night. You know, a, a really unfortunate loss it would have been would have been really nice for the Giants to win that game, but in the end, it's kind of about the long term, and and it's about still about the long term for this team and i i do think there were some good signs so tony was there anything else you wanted to mention before we uh, before we call it a show uh no no that's it. i thought you know, uh, jamie gillen had another nice night punting and all of a sudden all of a sudden i think of him as an asset to the team and not a liability and uh, and, and naturally graham gano graham gano is is always there and and so so underappreciated but but yeah, uh, Giants, yeah Giants fans go back and read the story I did about Gillen a few days ago at Big Blue View and uh, in case you guys are wondering and haven't read it Gillen for what it's worth has spent an awful lot of time studying former Giants great punter Jeff Fiegels so uh and, and you're right he's been he's been fantastic so you know we we hate to be at the point of the season where we're talking about the punter all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if they can get a few wins in the next few weeks. And Absolutely. Maybe, uh, the mood will be a little better. At least they looked last night like the team that we thought they might look like this year. And I, I think that was the most encouraging thing. They didn't get in the end zone, but they were highly competitive against a really good team. They looked like they had a plan. They looked like they had a chance. And, and it's hard to complain, you know, when, when they play that way. Mm -hmm. All right, Giants fans. Thank you as always for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.